Welcome to episode 53 of the Wonder Space podcast. It's great to have you on board. My name is Steve Cole and over the past year I have been asking the same six questions to amazing people from around the world. The questions orbit around wonder and hopefulness and the setting for each journey is a shared window on the space station from where we see everything from a different perspective. Before we introduce our guest, our friends at AskNature.org are going to help us to re-wonder. Hermit crabs have a social network that makes house hunting as efficient as possible. Whenever a good-looking seashell washes ashore, crabs throughout the vicinity will check it out, lining up in size order like a class of elementary school children. Eventually, a big enough crab appears and moves into the empty shell, vacating a slightly smaller shell, possibly perfect for the next inline. Many crabs then upgrade their living quarters simultaneously, while avoiding the risks of being without a shell for even a few minutes. Our orbit this week will take us from Malaysia to Western Australia. And to experience these views with us in this ultimate window seat, we welcome Sabrina Chakuri. For more than a decade, Sabrina has been advocating for a more sustainable society, leading numerous collaborations in various countries around the world. In 2017, she founded the Brisbane Tool Library, a social enterprise that encourages people to borrow tools, camping gear and other equipment, which in turn reduces waste and household consumption. Sabrina was nominated by our 16th guest, Donnie McClurkin, from the Post Growth Institute. Here is Donnie on why he nominated Sabrina. I nominated Sabrina Chikori because she inspires me so much with her unique blending of academic research, social entrepreneurship and activism. And she really, really gets to the heart of what it means to bring those three things together in meaningful ways to create change in this world. With a panoramic view of Earth, I start by asking Sabrina, if we could do a fly past on any part of the world that is significant to you, which place, city or country would it be and why? I would start flying from Brisbane and the reason being I am located in Brisbane and uh, somehow I like to remind myself to start and act from where you are. So it's a good point of, you know, relocalizing our folks and uh, interests. But if we have to fly, I would go straight into a direct line into the Pacific, the Pacific Ocean. And the image of flying uh, you know, across the Pacific is more than just the beauty of the immensity of uh, the blue planet, but it's really probably a shift away from the anthropocentric world, from the cities, from you know, going into this more natural extension when we could look down and see the blue planet and the immensity of it. Sabrina, give us a glimpse into your life story so far with an emphasis on what you are doing currently. So I'm 29 years old and I'm currently living in Australia. I just uh, moved here seven years ago from Switzerland, but I have a mixed heritage with also some Moroccan background. And, and I guess that mixed heritage surely influenced um, my choices. Why I refer to my age is that I was born in 1992. And 1992 was the first year of the climate summit in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. 
So I like to emphasize that detail because I keep hearing even nowadays, you know, we should take a climate action uh, for the future generation. And it always sounds to me like a way to postpone the problem. Because if we really look at it, I am the generation that inherited a unfunctional society, a sick planet. Uh, I am the generation that has already born with uh, these complex social and ecological issues. But anyhow, so I started when I was 13 and 14 in, you know, joining organization, volunteering, organizing um, protests, be, being in politics. So all of this in, in Switzerland. And I've been involved from anti-nuclear protests to um, anti-deforestation uh, movements, plastic bags movement. But all uh, in my 20s, I understood that I couldn't choose just one of these topics and it was getting really overwhelming because obviously I cared equally about different species, about different ecosystems. I cared about social issues, you know, such as uh, gender inequalities or uh, refugee uh, migrations. So in my 20s, I had to decide where I wanted to focus my energy on. And I tried to explore what was causing all these uh, social and ecological um, complex issues. And the answer has been that our economic system is unfunctional. Our growth-driven capitalist economic system is the root of the problem, which is you know, impacting the social and ecological integrity of uh, our current times. And uh, so since then, I started working on uh, economic degrowth, post-growth um, way of uh, reorganizing societies. A degrowth society wants to be an alternative to the current growth uh, capitalist system, which basically pr prioritizes profit and capital accumulation over any other thing. So in a degrowth society, the idea is to prioritize social and ecological well-being uh, beyond uh, GDP uh, growth. And in doing so, we really need to be you know, redesigning entirely society. I'm finishing a PhD at the University of uh, Queensland looking at how we could redesign food system in a post-growth society. For example, uh, if food is a, you know, is a necessary good, why are not food system not for profit? Why is food a commodity? Why are we speculating on food? I think that the most um, uh, exciting part of my work uh, in the last almost five years has been through the Brisbane Tool Library. So I started in 2017 the Brisbane Tool Library, which is really like a book library, but uh, for tools and other equipment. So we collect secondhand items and like a book library, people can just borrow these um, items so they don't need to um, buy them. And that fits the economic degrowth narrative in the sense that in order to respect um, the ecological limits of uh, the planet, which means respecting ecosystems and ecosystem services, we need to contract the use and, uh, of resources. And uh, therefore, we have to reduce productivism and consumerism. So the tool library, the interesting part is learning how to collaborate because we come from a very individualized society. So for especially my generation, you know, we we come from uh, educational system that prioritize individuals over the collective, but also a very productivist and consumerist system that tells you to buy your solution, you know, rather than uh, getting society reorganized. I think that at the bottom line of all what I'm doing is trying to keep alive the idea that a non-capitalist society can exist, that a prosperity beyond growth can exist. And, and we should be bold and courageous about it because we don't have much time, but also 
uh, it's our duty to come up with different imaginaries. Where on earth is your place of reset or recharge? I'm very connected uh, to you know nature, and I think that I do enjoy escaping the city, going ca- camping and hiking. And one of the things that I love of Australia is that it's very easy to find isolated places here, you know, without almost any artificial in, in interference. Uh, the ocean is surely my safety net. And the, the other thing is being, you know, from mixed cultures and having lived and volunteered across the world, I think I found my place of reset in people because uh, it's really hard to fit an identity or a culture when you come from a, a globalized background. And so I, f- I, I found that, you know, with time, probably people, and in this case, all my close friends in Australia became my home, become my, became my reset. So that's probably not a physical place, but it's surely an emotional safety net that I've built around me. <laughs> what wonder of the natural world excites you the most? The wonder of the natural world that excites me the most is the, the ocean. And um, as we are flying over the Pacific, uh, you know, I was trying to rationalize this interest in the ocean. And um, I think that there's few things that intrigue me. First of all is the fact that there are still so many unknown parts and mysteries and, and remind us how much we still don't know. But then I was thinking that I've always been fascinated, although I understand the negative social impacts of those events, but like by tsunamis and in general, um, water-related extreme events. And I think they fascinate me because of their strengths, because they somehow remind us how, you know, how humble we should be in front of nature and how humans are fragile and vulnerable. It teaches us to relearn really to be more humble and respect the natural cycles and limits. Sabrina, what is your story of hopefulness that's not your own? about a person, business or non-profit who are doing amazing things for the world? So my story of hopefulness is around the collective. And let me explain. I think that in the global north countries, in the Western world, there's a tendency to designate a hero from a top-down level, an individual who makes a difference. But when I think about greater people, you know, I like to think about the resilience in people that, you know, that they show it every week. Uh, I think of, you know, uh, people that are still undernourished and they have, you know, still to wake up and fight to nourish their family or themselves. You know, we can see already, for example, the climate impacts on Madagascar and other areas where drought is so intense that uh, these populations are completely dependent from other uh, imported food sources. When I also think about this uh, question, I I think of collectives, and that's another important thing because if we start aiming and taking as a role models collective way of living, we would tend to imitate them, you know. And as collective, we can think of, for example, the Kayapo, which is an indigenous population in Brazil, or other indigenous population, for example, of the Amazon forest, that they keep fighting big lobbies, you know, to preserve. Um, the natural beauty and importance and the biological richness of the Amazon forest. But we also can think about all these people that I really um, have high esteem of, that have the courage of uh, speaking up for you know, their rights or for issues in countries where that 
openness is not welcome. And in fact, well, I took uh, the Amazon forest as an example, but we know that there in other part, parts of the world, uh, some so-called activists disappear, you know. And uh, so obviously we have a lot of these people sacrificing, you know, every week, every day, and maybe not having the same attention as uh, Greta Thunberg or, you know, some American politicians or some other uh, more mainstream activists that feed the media. Finally, as interest. we prepare to re-enter, what insight, wisdom or question would you like to share with us? I would like to share the question of how can we live in abundance? And, um, and obviously it's really hard to summarize everything in a short interview, but in, in a capitalist society, everything is around created scarcity and therefore competition or unequal pre-distribution or redistribution. And I think that we have to be brave enough to relearn how abundance can be um, maintained in our society. Probably we really need this time for us to have a strong imaginary because even when we see this movement, which is great, but is not enough of, you know, uh, people protesting for the climate, people protesting for social rights, really what we are lacking is what are we protesting for? And if I can just give another example, it's like we, we keep hearing that we need renewable energy, but we, can't, we don't hear what do we need renewable energy for. You know, how would society look like? You know, it's not just about how we provide energy, but what do we use that energy for? And I think a prosperity of a country should be based on how much free time people have and not how much productive we are. So I think um, it, it shouldn't be a passion. It should be a responsibility of being courageous enough to defy uh, the current way of thinking and trying to really think out of the box and really speak up. Because if not us, someone else is suffering, you know, <laughs> at our place. And I guess that's what motivates me to do what I do as well. I encourage you to dive into the work of Sabrina, Donny, the Post-Growth Institute and other degrowth organisations and movements around the world. To engage with the previous 52 Wonder Space episodes, go to our website, ourwonder.space. I want to thank Sabrina for joining us on Wonder Space and I hope you can join us next week for more wonders and stories of hopefulness.